Hi, friends. Welcome to Rainbow Parenting. I am your host, Linz Amer. Today, we're talking about reproductive justice and trans justice. Before we get to the meat of the episode and my wonderful interview with author of What's an Abortion Anyway, Carly Manis, I've got a little bit of business for you up top. The first is that we are doing bonus content over on the Queer Kid Stuff Patreon page. I'm talking to every single one of our guests about their recommendations for children's media that they love. Folks are really bringing their A-game and are bringing books and shows and things that even I wasn't aware of. So I am really excited to bring all of those recommendations to you through our Queer Kid Stuff Patreon page. We're also doing a special promotion for the month of June over on that Patreon page. Anyone who signs up is going to get a limited edition Queer Kid Stuff sticker bundle. They are very cute stickers and they're going to go until they're gone. So please do that now if you'd like those stickers and you'd like access to that bonus content. We'd love to hit our goal of getting 100 Patreon supporters on our Patreon page through this month. So head on over to the Queer Kids Stuff Patreon page to help support the podcast and all of the work that we do at Queer Kids Stuff. The second order of business is that if you are enjoying the podcast so far, I know this is only our second episode, but if you're enjoying listening to this and enjoying what we're doing and the mission that we're on here, spreading queer and gender affirming parenting practices and ideas, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate the podcast and leave a review. We would absolutely love to hear what you think about our conversations. All right, that's it for the business. Let's get to the topic today. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does abortion and reproductive rights have to do with queer and trans and gender-affirming parenting practices? And I'm here to tell you that it has everything to do with all of those things. You see, in going into this podcast and, and what we're going to be talking about, we're not just going to be talking about queerness and kids and gender and kids and what we might traditionally think of as queer and trans topics. We're also going to be talking about larger justice movements and anything that really moves us toward liberation. And we're going to be talking about all of that territory. We're going to be talking about all of those topics through a queer and trans lens. So I'm talking to Carly Manis today, who is the author of a picture book, a self-published picture book, Love a Self-Published Indie Moment. And she wrote a picture book for children called What's an Abortion Anyway? that talks about and explains abortion to young kids through a picture book. And I am really excited about this book. It is adding a new conversation into the picture book space that I think hasn't been there before. And Carly and I talk about the book, about her process of coming to the book and why she wrote it in the first place. We'll also be talking about the coalition forming between trans rights and trans justice movements and reproductive movements and how that is coalescing in the current political moment that we're in right now today. Those overlaps will always be true because we're talking about bodily autonomy when we're talking about reproductive rights and trans rights. But this is a particular political moment where we're recording this interview and this episode in June of 2022. And we've had the leak about the dissenting opinion on Roe versus Wade. And we're waiting to see how that's going to play out in the Supreme Court. So we wanted to talk about this right now while it's pertinent. But this is also 
also going to be an ongoing conversation that's important to have with your kids, particularly from a queer and trans perspective. Even if it might not be obvious, reproductive rights are LGBTQ plus rights. And conversations around these topics are discussions that kids deserve to have access to. But before we get into my conversation with Carly, here's what you need to know. You'll hear Carly and I talk about something called a birth story. So this is something that is going to come up quite a bit (laughs) over our time together on this podcast. A birth story is exactly what it sounds like. It's the story of a child's birth. It's the story of building family. It's the story of how a child came to be into the world, into their situation, into their family, literally the science behind how a baby is born. So if you're scared about that conversation, what makes a baby and how was I made and, you know, the the stork and the birds and the bees of it all, that is a kind of birth story. So every child has a birth story, whether you or your partner carried that child, whether someone else carried the child, if they were adopted, if doctors helped. Sometimes doctors and fertility doctors are a part of a birth story. And Carly and I are talking about abortion as part of that birth story, as part of some people's birth story. So when we're talking about a birth story, it's just exactly what it sounds like. It's the story of a child coming into the world through many different possibilities. The important thing to understand about birth stories is that there isn't just one birth story. There are many, many different kinds of birth stories. So I encourage you to think about your child or a child in your life's birth story and how you might want to approach that and how, as we're going through this conversation, you might want to approach how abortion might be a part of that child's birth story or a part of your family's story. All right, let's get to my chat with Carly. Hello, my friends. I am here with an incredible guest that I am super stoked to talk to. I'm here with Carly. Hello, Carly. Hi, Linz. How are you? Not my best day, but that's all right. We're here. Yeah, we're here. We're We're doing the thing. Um, We're recording this in end of May. So Pride is about to come up. And that's always kind of a wacky time for professional queers like me. But you know, that's we're we're here. We're doing the thing. How are you? I like to come to this work as like full humans outside of like what we do. So yeah, how how are you doing? I am doing okay. I am based in Los Angeles, California on unceded Tongva land. And it is a gloomy, gloomy day here. Mm. And I'm very much someone who like the outer energy matches my inner energy. And as we'll talk about soon, abortion, um, it's not going so well. So no. It is not. So I am, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm feeling bogged down in the energy of the world, which doesn't feel like the best one right now. Yeah, I am here with you on that. It's also a gloomy day in New England. So my gloomy day and your gloomy day. And we're here and we're talking about cool things though. So um, yes. before we get in, I, I we didn't introduce you. Can you tell us uh, who you are and what your pronouns are? Yeah, I'd love to. 
Um, so my name is Carly Manis. My pronouns are she, her. I live, like I said, in Los Angeles, California on unceded Tongva land. I am a full spectrum doula. So I have been practicing as an abortion doula, supporting people during their abortion journeys, mostly in a clinical setting since 2015. That has turned into being an abortion doula trainer and supporting folks in becoming abortion support people themselves. I also do birth support work. And then outside of that, I do some really boring philanthropy stuff on the side, <laughs> but the things that I hold most dear are certainly my working community around that. And I work on practical support for abortion. So helping people travel for abortion care. And then as of late, I am a children's book author. Yeah, which you feels are. really funny to say. Um, but I am one of those now. Yeah. Amazing. And before we get into that, which is exactly what I want to talk to you about, um, how do you identify? I identify as a queer, cis, white, Jewish lady um, from New York. And that piece is really important to me. Yeah. I think those feel like the most salient identity markers to me. It came up a lot as I was writing this book. And a chicken tender enthusiast. <laughs> That is one of the best ends to a bio I have maybe ever heard. Also, I'm a born and raised New Yorker, so we can, uh, and a Jew as well, we can for sure chat about those offline when we get off this interview. But you talked about being a children's book author. Tell us what you wrote. Yeah. Well, I wrote a children's book and it's called <laughs> What's an Abortion Anyway? It is one of the first, certainly the first gender inclusive um, children's books about abortion care. And it launched on Kickstarter in May, 2021. Um, I'm the author of the book, but there is a brilliant, incredible illustrator. Their name is Emulsify. Um, they go by M or Mar. They use they, them pronouns, and they drew all the beautiful illustrations that really make this book what it is. Fantastic. Can you tell us what your inspiration was for writing it, but also what inspired you to want to make abortion accessible to young kids? So when I started doing abortion doula work in clinics, um, I started at this one beautiful, amazing independent clinic in Falls Church, Virginia. And often, as we all know, um, many folks who have abortions already are parenting in one capacity or another. Mm -hmm. And childcare is really expensive and hard to come by. So folks would come to the clinic and they would have their kids with them. They would be in the waiting room while you know, their adult with the uterus would be in the back having an abortion. And when I was doulaing folks or just supporting them, you know, I would get comments and questions around, you know, I have a kid here today. I want to tell them what I'm doing, what's happening, but I don't have the language. Do you have any recommendations? You know, how do you talk to a kid about abortion? Or even if they didn't have a little one with them, they would say, you know, I have a little one at home. Maybe today, maybe in the future, I want to talk about, you know, having an abortion. Do you have any recommendations? And I, at the time, was not a, a parent or caretaker myself and didn't have a lot of folks in my life. We didn't interact with young people all that much. And I didn't have language myself. And so Googled my way through the internet around like every different combination of phrase that you possibly could, mm. right? Like children, abortion explanation, children's books about abortion, how to talk to little ones about abortion. And the only search responses that I would get would be anti-abortion. They would mm. be things like how to talk about the immorality of abortion, how every life at every size matters. You know, I found a children's book that's called I'm a Pro-Life Kid. Um, and I found every resource except for the ones that I could give to my patients mm. um, and the folks that I was supporting because there was nothing that was rooted in my values. And I did that search every couple of months just to see if anything new cropped up. And mm -hmm. it, you know, a year had passed and 
I still didn't have something and people were still asking the same question. And as a doula, like that's my whole job. My whole job is to be a resource for people and to not have something to share felt really bad. So, you know, after enough time, kind of like you, Lynn, it's kind of like, well, someone's got to do it, right? Like there's this really important hole in the world and I'm going to be the one to create that resource that the other people after me who are Googling have something to look to. Yeah, I'm I'm for sure seeing a lot of parallels in our work. First off, just like in the kind of literal sense of it that queer kid stuff also started with a Google search. Mm. I went to Google and was like and and I asked, you know, what would a child who heard the word gay for the first time do in this day and age? And I said they would go to Google and type in what does gay mean? And the only things I found were like a bland dictionary definition, which included the derogatory definition of the word gay. And then there were like a couple of resources for parents and educators, but there was nothing that was for kids and in language that was accessible to young kids. And so, you know, after <laughs> after some thought and like f- trying to figure out what I could do, um, it ended up becoming queer kid stuff in order to fill that hole, fill that lack. And I also talk a lot about making queer kid stuff as the thing that I wish I had when I was a kid. And I hear that and what you're saying of like, this is what I wish I could give my patients, wish I could give the people in my care and the young people who are a part of that story. And I think something that really strikes me when I speak to folks who care about young kids and are interested in early childhood and all also are in abortion and reproductive spaces is thinking about abortion as part of a family's story. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a really brilliant um, abortion advocate named Renee Bracey Sherman who tweeted not so long ago and it was picked up by a ton of conservative media and the tweet said, abortion made my family. Mm. Um, And I think that sentiment is exactly right. Abortion is absolutely a part of many, many people's family stories. Um, It is the abortion that someone had that allowed them to have a pregnancy, um, which led to the birth of the little ones in their lives. Abortion is one of, and the way that we explain it in the book, it's one of three potential outcomes that people have when they're pregnant. People can have abortion. People sometimes have miscarriages or a natural release of their pregnancy. And then some people give birth. Um, And a lot of things happen after that in terms of all the options that could come, but three actual things could happen with that pregnancy an intentional removal, unintentional removal, which would be a miscarriage or a spontaneous abortion. um, And then a full pregnancy to birth, or of course a stillbirth, um, which is often categorized still under the the, um, classification of giving birth. And so people who have families, people who are raising little ones, if that's how they're defining their family as, as having little ones in their lives was one of those many outcomes. And folks, you know, maybe had a pregnancy before, maybe had a pregnancy after, and that pregnancy had a different outcome. One of those being abortion. So I love when people share abortion as a part of their family story, because, you know, abortion definitely makes our families what they are. They're a part of our reproductive histories and lives. And um, when people are able to talk about that with their little ones. I think there's a lot of beauty in that too, because it's telling the fullness of of how our family came to be. Mm, and I think something that always that comes to mind in conversations around this, our, our mutual friend, Hannah Matthews, who's also an abortion doula and um, an incredible writer. Um, I remember seeing her tweet something that said, abortion is good parenting. Can you speak to that a little bit as well? Absolutely. And you know, I think the people who speak to this best are the people who have abortions and are parenting, which is mm. so many of the folks that I support. You know, they're, of course, we could talk about abortion stigma 
and the reasons that people have abortions and the expectations of how people should feel after their abortion or before their abortion. And this narrative of abortion being selfish, which is often a very conservative narrative, a narrative of people who don't support abortion access is so, so polar opposite of what the reality is. Because like you said, abortion is good parenting for so many people. They're having abortions because they love their children and the, and the, the little ones that they're raising so deeply that they know if they look at their capacities, financial, emotional, time, and they think about the kid that I'm parenting now, what does that kid need in order for me to raise them in a way where they can thrive? I have limited resources. And if I bring another child into this world, it diminishes what I'm able to give to the child that I'm currently parenting. And so they're making that decision for the child, the child or the children that they're currently parenting. So absolutely. I mean, I think that quote by Hannah really resonates in that people often when they choose to have an abortion are thinking about not only themselves, but every other person in their life, how a new pregnancy, a new potential child would impact the people that they're already responsible for. Mm, This is beautiful. Um, Let's dive into the book a little bit. Something that I talk about a lot in my work is in the way that I approach kind of like, quote unquote, complicated topics. I say that it's about going under the doorknob. So getting down to a child's perspective and looking up at the world through kind of their young, curious eyes. I would really love to hear how you kind of approach the topic of abortion from under the doorknob in that way for in a way that is accessible and approachable to young kids. And then also talking about how the book is gender inclusive as well. And like how you can be approaching abortion from a childhood angle while also keeping it inclusive of trans and non-binary and, and queer families. You know, when you think about any medical procedure, it's complex to explain to a child. How would you explain to a child open heart surgery, right? Mm. So, you know, I spoke to a lot of medical professionals, child psychologists, teachers, folks who have expertise in helping young folks understand topics that are, you know, not only complex for young people, but complex for anyone, right? Like, especially when it's medical, figuring out how to explain it to any human can be complicated based on, you know, their own cultural scope, mm-hmm. what language is used at home. And so the way that we thought about how to explain an abortion specifically was really as fundamental as possible. Mm-hmm. And for us, that meant talking about how when a pregnancy happens, there are three possible outcomes. And then we explain what those three outcomes are. We wanted to give context because a lot Mm -hmm. of young people probably already know what birth is because they've likely been told their own birth story. Mm -hmm. So the line in the book that we say is some people are pregnant for many months and have a baby Some people have a miscarriage. A miscarriage is when a pregnancy isn't healthy enough to keep growing. And then lastly, some people have an abortion. An abortion is when someone decides to stop growing their pregnancy. We spent so many months, like every single word, is so incredibly intentional here. And of mm-hmm. course, as you can hear in my language, we say people. Mm-hmm. Often when we talk about abortion in our larger US cultural context, we're saying the word women. So speaking specifically about how we're including trans and non-binary and um, queer young people, this is one part that we're making clear that if this is their first time hearing about abortion, they're hearing about it in a context that includes everyone who has abortion. Mm-hmm. And the second piece is, being very intentional about every single word that we chose. So for example, 
someone decides compared to choose Mm -hmm. because not everyone who has an abortion gets to choose to have that abortion, right? Some people are having abortions because there's a fetal anomaly and it's dangerous to carry their pregnancy forward. If they got to choose based on all the perfect factors, their choice would maybe be to keep growing that pregnancy. But deciding is a different word. To decide something means that you are making a decision with all the information that is presented to you compared to making a choice, which we read more so as in the perfect conditions, this would be my my preferred outcome. It's really interesting to think about folding a conversation, explanation of abortion into the like what makes a baby conversation. I've never kind of like heard it in that context before. And I think that that's a really easy way in and and including a conversation around abortion in birth stories too, because as much as it is about family formation, it's also, you know, about talking to your kid about like, what makes a baby? Where do babies come from? How can babies happen? How can babies, you know, not happen? And like, what are the possibilities around pregnancy as well? And I think that that could be a really, a really good way in, especially when we're framing it around that and not necessarily having to frame a a conversation around abortion and reproductive rights around the current political climate, right? Like that's not necessarily a positive way of frame. And like, I'm not saying that we like get rid of that, like the negativity and like, you know, the the battle that's happening around reproductive justice. And it's important to acknowledge that with young kids. I don't want to gloss over that. But I do think if we want to explain abortion to kids as a natural part of how families form and how birth stories happen, that's a really good way for parents to start to approach that. And I, and I, I really like that angle. The other thing there too is the reason that we talk about it in the context of pregnancy outcomes is to normalize abortion. That's mm-hmm. not this other thing that it's not, you know, birth and miscarriage are are natural things that happen. We want to normalize abortion as a valid, equal outcome of pregnancy. And I mean, that's a huge intention with this book, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't want this book in the political section of a bookstore. I want this book in the same section as all the children's books about birth, about miscarriage, about, you know, sex. Um, Mm -hmm. It is very much not a, I mean, abortion is inherently political. So it's a political book, but it's not a book about political advocacy. It is a book that is simply introducing this concept that is a reality of our world, just like birth, just like miscarriage, just like any other pregnancy outcome. Um, So I really appreciate that you lifted that piece up. Yeah, of course. And I also think that like talking about it as a medical procedure, right? Because that is such a, I don't know if neutral is the right word about it uh, to describe it, but it's it's a way to get at the subject from more of like a clinical perspective, right? Because I think that, you know, that's how we can also answer questions kids have around like what makes a baby, like the way that you can be inclusive and like really answer that specific question is about talking about uteruses and eggs and sperm. And those are medical things that we're talking about, right? We're not talking about intercourse. We're not talking about adult ideas of sex and sexuality. We're talking about these things in a way that kids can understand. And kids actually understand a clinical scientific definition of these things. And I think we get nervous about overwhelming kids or they won't understand, but kids have bodies. They understand 
or or starting to understand their body and the bodies of others. And I think focusing on that is really important. And like, I've been kind of trying to puzzle through like, how do I talk to kids? Because this is what I do, right? How do I talk to kids about my top surgery? Because I've never really seen anything in the public space around like, okay, how does a trans person talk to a young person about their top surgery or their any kind of gender affirming surgery that they have? And I had to like really pause and think about it. And I was like, okay. And I went back to kind of like the science, like what is actually happening scientifically, clinically, I'm reshaping my chest, right? I'm having a surgeon reshape my chest so that it can, I can feel better and more affirmed in my body. And it's that simple. And I think talking to kids about abortion is that simple, right? Yeah, absolutely. I also, Linz, I just like really resonate with you in the way that you talk about young people and their ability to understand. I got into advocacy around sexual health and reproductive health care because of the way that young people were being denied information about their bodies. Mm. I saw the show 16 and Pregnant, and I was furious that a lot of these young people who were pregnant were talking about the misinformation that they were given about how pregnancy happens. And that's how they ended up pregnant. And it was because people didn't trust them with information about their Mm -hmm. own bodies. And, you know, so many negative comments about this book were, you know, let kids be kids and, you know, kids don't need to learn about abortion and just really underestimating how smart young people are, their Mm -hmm. capacity to understand if they're asking about it, then they are old enough to get an age appropriate response that is honest and transparent. You had mentioned sort of this idea of coming at abortion from a clinical perspective. And I think that's that's true, right? Like abortion is a medical procedure often. But the other thing that we sort of grappled with in this book is that a lot of abortions happen outside of the medical system too. Mm. So folks are having abortions at home with medications like misoprostol and mifepristone. And then some folks are having abortions at home with things like herbs. So, you know, um, I just want to name that was something that we sort of struggled with where we're introducing a doctor as a part of this, but there are also other ways people have their abortions. Mm-hmm. And how do you convey all of that in a, you know, 30 page children's book? And then the other piece of the book too, is, you know, at first we explain what an abortion is. And then we get into, you know, how people feel really differently about their abortions and people have abortions for different reasons. And no matter what, all of those feelings, all of the reasons are okay. And I think What I also love about this book is that it really leaves space for a lot of conversation. Mm. It, you know, it talks about abortion in a way that is like very wide and very vast for people to be able to say, this is what an abortion is. I want to talk to you about my own story. So that was a really big piece of this book. When I first sent it to publishers, some of the feedback that I received was they wanted more of a narrative of like one person's story of Mm. walking a, a young person through. Here's someone, here's what happened. They got pregnant it's bad for their body, you know, um, it's dangerous. So they had their abortion and now they're okay. But doing that when one, there wasn't already a resource that just sort of explained abortion expansively. Um, and really this being a foundational book, it didn't feel right to me to do a narrative because it also really didn't make space for the 
millions of reasons that people have abortions, the millions of feelings that they have, and really being a tool for more so than anything, conversation between an adult and a young person. Mm, Yeah, I really appreciate that. And something I wanted to pull out of like, there are lots of different kinds of abortions outside of clinical settings. Uh, The thing that kind of sparked for me is like, how can we decolonize our explanations of abortion? And like, you know, we're talking about Western medicine and a Western medicinal way of doing abortion. So how can we also talk about indigenous and native practices as in, and herbs and things beyond Western ideas of medicine and how abortion can fit into that and how we can talk to kids about that as well. So I think that that's just kind of an important thing to pull out and pluck from there. But this is all super, super fascinating and interesting. And um, we're kind of getting to the end of this initial part of the conversation. Um, but before we Um, take a break, I wanted to talk about this kind of growing coalition I'm seeing start to happen between multiple justice movements for sure, but specifically within trans rights and reproductive rights. And I think that there are some obvious overlaps because trans people can have abortions too. But I want to talk about this specifically because we're recording this in May of 2022. And trans rights, particularly trans kids, are literally under attack in this country legislatively. But also abortion rights and access to abortion are, again, (laughs) under attack in those same legislatures, right? So um, talk to me about what you're seeing kind of on the ground in your work in how this coalition is maybe forming the discourse and chatter that's starting to come up around that and why, why that's important for both movements. Yeah. It's a big question. (laughs) Gosh, I think it's important for both movements in so many ways. I think a lot of it comes to autonomy, right? Being able to control your body and live in your body in a way that is most authentic um, and best for you. So I think there's that very, very natural tie there. I think that for a very long time, the reproductive health rights and justice movement, but more so rights and uh, health compared to justice, which is really centered on ensuring that predominantly folks of color and poor folks are really centered in the advocacy work. So, you know, if you expand on that, really marginalized folks, trans folks are very marginalized often in most healthcare and most medical settings because our systems are not set up to support them and their bodies in an affirmative way. I think that I love that I am seeing folks try to be more intentional about their language and talking about abortion to ensure that we're not erasing trans and gender nonconforming and trans men who have abortions. I love that I'm seeing trans rights organizations when they're advocating for the rights of trans folks, that they're including abortion care as one of the many rights that Mm. trans folks deserve and need access to. What I'm excited for and like this next iteration of that advocacy is really for it to enter the medical space compared to Mm. just sort of the public narrative. And I think I don't want to underestimate we have a long way to go in terms of the public narrative. I don't know if you were at any of the rallies this weekend or saw any photos from the rallies this weekend, the bands off our bodies rallies. But, you know, there was still a lot of language that was being used that erased a lot of the trans folks who need access to abortion, have access to abortions in the past. So I think we've got a long way to go in terms of the public narrative. But I do think that medically, very, very slowly, we're starting to see medical professionals affirm trans folks in their abortion experiences. So, you know, an example is the Falls Church Health Center, where I was a doula for a long time. They recently added pronouns to their intake form. Mm. Again, it's slow, 
but I think it's really exciting to see. And that is because of the work that trans advocacy organizations and reproductive justice organizations in particular have put in. Yeah, I think the things that I want to pull out here are like the fact that reproductive justice and you know, anti-abortion thought is very deeply steeped in misogyny. Absolutely. And there is something to be said about the ways that misogyny affects trans people and non-binary people who potentially need abortions. I am a non-binary person who was assigned female at birth, but I am perceived, even though I am not a woman, I am perceived as woman majority of the time, and therefore I experience misogyny. It's a hard conversation to have, right? But And also seeing like how marginalized trans people are in medical spaces. Like I, I donated my eggs twice, and I was barely out at the clinic because I was just, it wasn't a battle that I really wanted to fight because I was, you know, there to do a thing and to be there with my body and use that for egg donation purposes. Um, And also to like make money off of my body. There's a lot of things I could talk about with that. But like I didn't feel comfortable being fully trans in those spaces because of how steeped they are in cis womanhood. And I can imagine it being incredibly difficult for trans men, especially trans men who are perceived as cisgender men, um, that to be a really, really difficult experience to even just be in a fertility clinic. Um, So yeah, I think that there is for sure a lot of stuff to be said about the medical community generally and being more trans inclusive for sure. Um, But yeah, this is uh, really, really interesting stuff. And I think that we're seeing these two movements in particular have a really intensive spotlight on them. And I think coming together and and helping kids understand why these two movements are talking to each other as well is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Cool. This was a really enlightening conversation. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with some listener questions. I don't know about you, but when I'm shopping for clothes, comfort is a huge, huge priority for me. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that this podcast is sponsored by Swoverall. Swoveralls are the glorious combination of sweatpants and overalls in one incredibly comfy masterpiece. I actually have two pairs of Swoveralls already. I just ordered the Swovey shorts and I am so excited to have a summer version, a warm weather version of my Swoveralls because they're just so comfortable. Overalls are some of my favorite things to wear. They make me just feel really good in my gender euphoria and with my inner child. I loved wearing overalls as a kid too, and wearing overalls now has really connected me to that as a trans grown-up. And I love wearing sweatpants because they're comfortable. And finding those two things in one piece of clothing is just absolutely mind-blowing. Swoveralls also come in gender-neutral sizing from XX smalls to 4X 
larges. And Swoveralls are also available in a ton of different colors and designs. Swoveralls also has a kids collection. So if you wanted to, you know, match your kid, you can get Swoveralls in the adult size for yourself. And then you can also get the same or, or a different color Swoveralls for your kid. And we can see all of your cute matching photos and your Swoveralls on Instagram because that is content that I definitely want to see. Swoveralls are the comfiest thing you never knew you needed. Rainbow Parenting listeners can use the code RAINBOW for 15% off anyone's entire order. So again, that code is RAINBOW, R-A-I-N-B-O-W, and you get 15% off your entire order. Thank you to Swoveralls for sponsoring this podcast. Cool. We are back with Carly Manis and we are talking about trans rights and repro rights and talking to kids about abortion. And now we're going to answer a listener question. You ready, Carly? I sure am. Cool. All right. So this is um, from a listener. I have a toddler, a four-year-old, and I am very sad (laughs) about all the abortion and anti-choice pro-life things that are going on right now. I took my toddler to a rally and that was a really wonderful family experience. But my mother is a pro-life advocate and I don't really know how to talk to my child about our pro-choice life and my mother's pro-life stance. So how do you suggest I broach that with my child? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I also just want to like honor and name that that's a really hard dynamic to navigate. And I'm sorry that that's something that you're experiencing and just having to wade through. I know a lot of us have, um, you know, family uh, that doesn't always share our views on things that we value in this world. So I want to just name that that's difficult and I'm sending a lot of warmth and love your way. And also wanting to name too, that like, it's an amazing thing to do to um, go against what a family value you might've been raised in and raise your children differently. That is like such a cool radical act. And I think that's so powerful that you brought your little one to a rally, um, especially at the age of four. I wish my parents had been that cool when I was younger. Um, and so what I want to name about having these differing values in your little one's life is the way that I would have that conversation, I think what I would do is I would sit down with my young person and say, you know, everyone as in everything has different values in this world. In our family, my values are that people can do what they can and should and need to do what they want with their bodies. It's a part of, like I tell you, you don't have to hug grandma when you don't want to. That's the same reason that I believe that abortion is so important is because we have control over our bodies. And I know that we've talked about that for a really long time, right? That your body is your own. That's the same thing about abortion. I decided that I wanted to have a baby. I wanted to have you. And so it was a really special thing that I got to make that decision for, but not everyone gets to make that decision because of the way that, you know, laws might be a, a little bit too complex for, um, for little ones at this point, but to just say, that's not how everyone's community looks. Not everyone has a doctor that can help them have an abortion. And so we're fighting for a world where everyone gets to make decisions about their body and their lives. And that's what's important. It's okay that your grandma has a different view on that. And that comes with a lot of really harmful things that can hurt a lot of people. 
So we're going to keep on holding these values true. And um, if you ever want to talk to your grandma, you're welcome to have that conversation. Mm, I think that that's a really, really beautiful way to frame that. And I think that that can apply to any political differing opinions and that that being a really hard space for any, any adult who's dealing with that, especially in this time. But I think when we're talking about specific ideology, like uh, pro-life anti-choice and are having our own ideals at the forefront and talking to kids about like what you value in your family and why that's important to you and why you might not agree with everyone and why other people might not agree with you because conflict like that is human, right? And we're trying to bring kids up in a world where we're transparent about what humanity is and that is the full breadth of humanity and that is like the crummy parts of it too, right? Like the stuff mm. that's not fun, the stuff that sucks, the stuff that is really hard. And that's yeah. a part of life. And that's going to be a part of their life no matter what. They don't have a choice in that because that's what being a human is like right now. And will probably be for, <laughs> for however long humanity is on this earth. Yeah. And I think the other thing I want to name too is like, I think it's okay for little ones to hear differing they should right mm -hmm. like I don't allow my little one to hear other people's opinions that isn't helping them develop their critical thinking skills I don't want little ones in my life to hold certain values simply because I told them to mm. I want those to be their values because that's what they believe so I think for me in that scenario you know, I would want my little one to be able to have that conversation, maybe when they're a little bit older, um, mm -hmm. but it's up to them, really. If they feel like they want to have that conversation with grandma now, go for it. I think I would want to be in the space because mm -hmm. the one thing that I think is really important is obviously misinformation. If grandma's saying things that are blatantly untrue, mm -hmm. I want to be there to be able to help fact correct. But if grandma's sharing her feelings about something, that's okay. She's allowed to express her feelings and I want my kid to hear other opinions about it as well. So, because I want them to come to their own values clarification on their own. Mm -hmm. So, And I think that that, and I talk about childism a lot, discriminating against children because they're children. And I think that that's a big part of this too, of like a fear. And I think this, this happens in progressive spaces a lot too, of like the fear that you're your child will grow up to believe something that is different from you. And I think that that is disrespectful of children, even if, you know, it is, quote unquote, the right thing that you're thinking. And like, I don't know, we're, we're biased on this podcast. We're, we're pro-choice for sure. Um, but it's still wanting to impose even a pro-choice mentality on your child is a form of oppression and is not allowing them to build and come to their own conclusion about any idea, right? I think what we're talking about, you know, in your children's book, in my web series, and the work that we're both doing is about introducing information that will help them make an informed decision and build empathy and critical learning skills, critical thinking skills, and critical reading skills eventually. And I think that, you know, we have to let go a little bit as parents, as educators, as people who are responsible for young children in a lot of ways, and allow ourselves to be guides 
um, rather than dictating any opinion. Because, you know, if you're providing the information and you are building empathy and you are helping them with these critical thinking skills, they will come to those conclusions on their own. <laughs> Absolutely, Lynn's Like the book doesn't use language like pro-choice. The book doesn't use pro-abortion. The book simply says, this is what an abortion is. Everyone has different reasons. People all feel different ways. We respect and value those people no matter what they decide. Mm-hmm. Young people are so smart. And you're right. If we give them the information, if we're developing empathy, all things that like, this is what a doula is. A doula's whole job is to be an unbiased, unjudgmental resource that gives accurate information with empathy. That's mm-hmm. it. That's the whole job of what I do. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of this book. Even folks who share our viewpoint don't always believe in the space to allow young folks to come to their own conclusions, but it is so important. And mm-hmm. childism is super real and pervasive in, in every whatever kind of spectrum politically we exist within. And so um, I hope that this book sort of lends to that reality of letting young folks come to their own conclusions. Yeah, I think it absolutely will. And I think that this conversation is like a little to the side of like the extreme of like, if you're like middle schooler, tween, teen is like moving into like white supremacist spaces, like that's indoctrination and like how social media algorithms and like all of that stuff. And like, if that is happening, going back to these like core principles of like building empathy and critical thinking skills like that is the way to undo what's happening over there and like you're having an issue with those critical skills rather than like the actual topic that is being discussed right absolutely yeah this was a beautiful conversation thank you so much for joining me carly um where can folks find you on the internet yeah. So folks can find the book at what's an abortion book.com. That's where they can order a copy of the book. We're on Instagram at what's an abortion book. Honestly, Lynn, I'm not really on the internet. Um, I definitely recommend that folks follow Emulsify Art um, to check out Mars. Amazing, amazing illustrations. Their work is in our book. And then of course they have a whole portfolio beyond that. So please do check out Emulsify and support them. Other than that, we hope that you can find a copy of the book at your local library, maybe in your friend's home library. Um, We will have Spanish copies of the book coming out really soon. It'll soon be on Amazon, the place that we hate, but the place that also, unfortunately, a lot of people are able to access um, resources. So amazing. Yes. Holding space that like there is no ethical consumption and under capitalism (laughs) for that, especially with a physical product like a book. Actually, we uh, don't have a publisher because people were too afraid to publish a children's book about abortion. We can talk mm-hmm. about that next time, Lynn. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that for next time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, Carly. Thanks so much, Lynn. Thank you so much to Carly for joining us. Make sure you check out the book, her beautiful picture book, What's an Abortion Anyway. Get your own copy if you don't have one already. Check to make sure your library gets one and uh, read the book to your kid and talk to your kid about what's going on with reproductive justice right now and talk to them about that through a queer and trans lens and make sure you're including queer and trans people in your reproductive justice practices. Carly and I also talked about her children's media recommendations over on the Queer Kids Stuff Patreon. So if you head on over to patreon.com, go to the Queer Kids Stuff page. We also are doing that for 
all of our podcast episodes. So make sure you go over there. We would absolutely love that. As always, I'm Linz Amer, your host. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R. That's Linz Amer. And you can follow all of our work at Queer Kids Stuff all over the place. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. Take a look at our ongoing projects. Check all of that stuff out. We'll be back every week with new Rainbow Parenting episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. That's all I've got for today. Talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzio. <laughs>